0: Speaking of Reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg.
1: And this is Chris Jackson. And Fred's starting a worrying trend where we start talking, but he doesn't tell me what we're talking about. So... Well, it's Q not that embarrassment.
0: Bad. Well, you know, it's like when we get a, a comment in, you know, or a question in the mail, it, it, you know, first cup of coffee and you're reading some interesting question or something like that. And I got one yesterday that I thought would be perfect to talk about. Um, oh, cool. Because I figured you, you probably have thought this through pretty well at one point or another, but it's actually. Oh, we'll see. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a, a question that was, um, in part, it was. Uh, I got a, a the question, was, I'm paraphrasing, it was, I, I got this uh, stack of data, you know, a pile of data, and what's the first thing I should do with it? And, because they heard I the it. comment that I've made, I don't know how many times, is plot the data. It, well, is that the first thing you would do? And, um, hmm. So I thought, well, there's... There's a little bit more to this, in my own experience. Vast majority of the time is not is the plotting is the easy part. It's the there's a whole bunch of other things we can do once you first get a stack of data or a pile of data or or, or come upon some interesting data, or whatever. So, what do you think? What's the very first thing you
1: should do? Well, What's the decision?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, I didn't. I didn't even think of that one. Yeah, what, what are you going to do with it, right? What What are you trying to right. accomplish, or what? What's the problem or question you're trying to solve, or is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give you an example. I was recently given a stack of data to look at, and this data, for all intents and purposes, satisfied the perceived need, i.e. it contained information about warranty failure. And that's fantastic, and the information for these warranty failure events was pretty good. And they said, well, can you go and analyze and tell us about warranty reliability, I said, well, problem is you haven't given me any information about the devices or systems that haven't failed. So you've given, let's just say, it was a lot of data, so let's just say there's a thousand data points. I go, well, if you sold a thousand systems, then your warranty reliability is quite poor. In fact, best guess is zero. I said, well we we need to give you that information well of course you need to give me that information because how do i know what fraction of um systems failed if this is the only data you've given me and more beyond that you and i know that if you can even just a simple weibull plot can give, tell you so much about what's going on is it wearing in is it wearing out is there more than one failure mode or more than one failure mechanism and to be able to create a weibull plot you need to have what we call censored data included, which is information about how old all the surviving products and systems are yeah. um, And so that's a good example of people rushing to get data without truly understanding what it is We're trying to decide upon or inform.
0: Well They had all this failure data if they wanted to just analyze that part of it It's only part of the story and so In part, you're saying is that they wanted to understand what proportion of units were failing, and the data wasn't sufficient to answer that question. Um, But it's also, I think, a part of it is, do you have the appropriate data, or enough data, or or the right columns of Mm -hmm. data sets, those kinds of things. Uh, One thing even before that is, well... I've been handed data before and none of the columns were labeled. I'm like, all right, um, (laughs) what is this? (laughs) We'll just analyze it. Uh, I don't even know what it is,
1: you know? Right. Um, And you can make some educated guesses. Like you can see where the technician comments usually are. Yeah. Or the,
0: you know, dates might have a, 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 rhythm to them of some sort, but the, um, yeah, if, we you got a set of data, I also go back even further is well where and how is this collected? You know, if I wasn't the one actually doing it, well where is this what's the source of this stuff? And it goes back to your point is is this data complete? <clears throat> or is it um was it collected well? Um I've actually been handed a stack, a physical stack of, of uh worksheets. Um there was repair records and they the repair folks would put in the serial number you know what unit it was and and they would put list or scan in uh what uh um, components they replaced those kinds of things and then they had a a table below it that was the um the root cause it was attempting to go at well what actually caused the problem and After paging through about a dozen or so of these, it was the first one underneath the last field that they were required to fill in was the one always ticked. And so sometimes they replaced the capacitor. Sometimes they replaced uh, another component. You know, they replaced... Out of the 10 I looked at, there were like eight different things that were actually done. But every one of them had uh, faulty CPU as the the tick mark of what was the root cause and none of them replaced the cpu (laughs) 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 so what wait a second what is it you know if i was going to make a a simple chart of you know what was the root causes i think this is not accurate um you know let me see how you fill this in and and it led to an experiment where we randomized the uh the boxes that were to be indicating what the various types of root causes were. And mm-hmm. sure enough, it was the location dominated, the one closest to the right. last required field. And I'm like, well, this isn't helping. Uh, so
1: no. Well, I guess a a really good point you raise, um, going back to the example I talked about earlier where I was given a ton of data, apparently allegedly warranty failure data. And I looked at the data, and I knew what the warranty period was. And about half the data points, half these failure events occurred at usages beyond the warranty period. And go, all right, so this is not exclusively warranty failure. You ask the person that gave it to, yep, it's supposed to be exclusively warranty failure. And that sort of discrepancy is what good data analysts and reliability engineers should be looking for. Because as soon as you see that, as soon as you see something which doesn't align with the brief of the data set, your spidey senses should start tingling and say, okay, there is a disconnect between at least what this person thinks is in here and what there actually is. And some of you might say, well, just ignore the data that was beyond the warranty period, which is potentially rational suggestion. But again, once your spidey senses have started tingling, when you realise that people aren't on top of being able to describe or scope a data set, it really is hard to get back to that state as a data analyst of confidence in the, in the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the goodness of the data set.
0: Yeah. Well, the, it, it's not purity. It's a, there's a technical term for it where it's, um, it's not accurate. Well, somebody will think of it and let us know. <laughs> it's, it, there's um, data quality. I think the quality folks would, mm-hmm. would subscribe to that one. Well, it's
1: Representative is a word which comes to mind. Um, does this represent the population? Um, but qual, let's run with quality. Yeah. I know that we like using the word corrupt when data is bad. Yeah. So.
0: So honest data would be the the, yeah. the opposite corrupt. of corrupt data. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's part of it is it's not just, you know, I got a stack of data created a, a nice plot of it, which is something I typically do pretty quick is just, uh-huh. I put it on a scatter diagram or if it's, you know, XY plot or just plot it a couple different ways. Just simply get it on the screen. And there's, yeah, a handful of things you can do prior to that. And part of it is, is understanding, well, what, are you trying to do with this? You know, what's the well, like you said, it, Chris? Is what's the decision? And then it's I like to ask, well, what is this data? Where did it come from? And is it complete? Can it actually help us answer this, inform this decision we're trying to make, and so on? Um, then, then I start. I often will scan a, a row of data and look for just blatant, like missing. Does it have missing data? which changes some of the algorithms you can use to, to do stuff with it. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a, a, you know, a row of dates? And then there's some other format for maybe it's a date. Maybe it's just a random number. Um, just kind of obvious stuff before you even get the plotting is like, hmm, wait, if you have a actual physical ones, is it are there comments that are germane to the, the data that you're seeing and do you need to take those into account um or is there lots of erasures and and scratching it out and rewriting it and stuff like they i had one one time where there was six different entries all in pen all scratched out with a line through them and then finally one of them that was in spec and then they shipped it so i I think they just kept measuring it until they got one that worked (laughs) I was like i don't think there's something Quite right with the measurement system here
1: Right, and that's that's the sort of nuances you're looking for. I mean you talked about Plotting straight away again. I'll go back to that example. I just talked about where I had data Where half of it seemed to appear after the warranty period and you do a Weibull plot and Had to make several other assumptions because I had to guess when they were manufactured, manufactured as well mm. but the wobble plot was pretty good in that it had infant mortality which is what you expect to see then it had a nice straight wear out line within the warranty period still relatively small value probability so still let's say high reliability zone but as soon as the warranty period kicked in on the weibull plot then you the data behaved very weirdly it started wiggle wiggling it went created a weird s shape and everything else which is classic symptom of only receiving partial data. So, I mean, you don't just throw your hands up in the air once you have those spidey senses tingling. If you plot that, you can say, well, there's a good chance perhaps that the data that's, which is within the warranty period is representative, but the main, well, the, the main plausible explanation for the unusual behaviour beyond the warranty period is that, those failures are not representative. And that means that the users or customers, instead of, well, the, the device is out of warranty period now, so they're going to another provider or another maintainer to res- fix their their system. Um, so you're only getting partial representation of those failures outside of the warranty period. So you still want to try and find the narrative, the story, like you did. Your your narrative was, uh, there's a chance that we have an inaccurate Measuring device, and when we keep measuring enough, law, the law of la- large numbers suggests if you have inaccuracies, you'll eventually have a number which is, you know, <laughs> or feasible. Yeah, um, but that's not the intent of reliability and quality in manufacturing. I, I
0: actually ran into that. We were, we were I was in a, a factory, and we were setting up a, a system to make measurements on a product that we were getting ready to produce, and the technician. Uh, was attempting to be very helpful. And um, I was doing a gauge R&R where you run, you know, various people and various operators of the system would place components in there and it would get measured and then they record it. Um, But some of the measurements were out of spec for that particular station, for that particular dimension. And I was trying to figure out, well, is this the gauge or is this the product, you know, kind of thing. And, and so I had a handful of products. I, I, I actually knew the measurements using a very different system. And they were measuring and re-measuring these things. And, and he, he kept adjusting the jig until he got a measurement that was in spec. And he said, well, they all should be good, right? <laughs> like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so. uh, you know and it was a that was an easy measurement analysis where there's a bit of human error involved um right and it was within the intention of where there's a bias or perception that that's what it should be so i'm going to um keep measuring it until i get it right and and get what i think it should be yeah. mm, okay that's not the idea here uh which brought into question a whole bunch of other things across that factory of how they did things and why their control charts always look so perfect is because instead of recording the bad stuff, they just ignored that point because it was an outlier and this was on a control chart. Hmm. Well, it can't be right. It's, it doesn't fit in the, in the bounds here. So it must be wrong. So we're not going to record it. Hmm. Let's, let's talk a little bit.
1: Are we going to talk about that thing? A lot of people like calling outliers or referring to as outliers. Well, you know, there's the law outlaws.
0: Yeah, that's a whole other topic. But I mean, part of the the initial set of data is, um, well, is it gathered well? Do I have sufficient data? Um, do I understand what this data is and what it represents and what question are we trying to answer or inform or what's the decision? Uh, all those are important. And then it, then you get into the more nitty gritty of going, all right, I want to plot this and up. Oh, you look at this one. This one's two orders of magnitude different than everything else. What's what's with that? Now, it could be you just created a Nobel Prize worthy discovery, or it was a missing digit or something. <laughs> uh
1: <laughs> you know a Nobel Prize.
0: Yeah. Uh, but it's it's innocent until proven guilty, It is the way I look at it. And my f- first inkling is, depending on what we're trying to dis- you know do with the, the data set, with this decision, I'll analyze it with it and without it. And if it doesn't change the decision, then I, I'm not going to invest the energy to go sort it out because it doesn't really matter. But if that, that odd piece of data makes a big swing in the results that we're trying to derive from this data set, um, then we need the story, and it's not as simple point. as assuming that it's an outlier and then we can ignore it.
1: Most people don't even know what an outlier is. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, if you have an out, I mean, we'll, we won't. I think we've done this a couple of times, but just I don't know. Walk down memory lane. Yeah. When we talk about outliers, essentially, you you, you walk look at a data point, and you uh, say that that data point is Essentially valid, however, it's so far outside the typical values that's going to skew my analysis in a way I don't want it to be skewed, or you know, in a way it shouldn't be skewed. I should say. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, well, we'll ignore that. And it's a bit like if you're trying to understand the average height of a human being, and you're going to measure ten humans, then and then the tenth human who walks in is Shaquille O'Neal, who's seven foot two, who's extraordinarily tall you say, okay, Shaquille, you're an outlier, so your data point won't count. But the problem with that is an outlier, by definition, requires prejudice, pre-judging. It means you need to already come into that conversation with an idea about what you expect or what you think is satisfactory or tolerances or insert whatever word you like using there. And if it's not what you expect, you you call it an outlier and exclude it which is classic bias. That is the definition of bias. You exclude data um, because it doesn't fit your preconceived idea of what it should be. And when it comes to manufacturing, that's a huge deal because you might have, like well, for example, intermittent faults that, you know, just things are out of spec- start up and shut down. And if you say, well, those things, okay, they're an outlier. so. Uh, They they hardly ever occur. They only occur at the start and the finish. So we're going to exclude them. Well, if you're trying to manufacture things with six sigmas worth of quality, whatever you want to call it, or you just cannot tolerate huge, even small numbers of defects, well, you've just potentially created a huge problem later on with recalls and quality control issues once the users and, and customers have it, et cetera, et cetera. You should almost never almost never look at something and then say and feel comfort confident enough to say that's an outlier so i'm going to pretend it doesn't exist yep
0: yeah no it's you got to know the story of the data if if it's an honest clerical error uh, or you know if, if it was if you can demonstrate or show that that it was just a transpose figures or it was somebody wrote two results down in the same cell so it mm-hmm. ended up with three extra digits uh yep. those kinds of things but you need a pretty clear evidence to exclude it which is uh, exactly what you're saying i think is is that no it's it's information and we shouldn't exclude it
1: that's 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 not really an outlier that's like incorrect data i mean the outlier I, is where you- is where you measure shaquille o'neal perfectly in turn oh yeah you are still seven foot two yeah so that data point is not corrupt per se no one um there's nothing wrong with that no right yeah that what you're talking about is where someone writes down seven foot two wrong so instead of it being seven foot two he's 72 feet tall right that's uh that's (laughs) that's not an outlier that's a that's a corrupt data point yeah but,
0: um and it's not always easy to to tell what's corrupt no, versus so, real when it's you know a bunch of automated measurement systems and data sets being moved from here to there and people you know fussing with it one way or the other and it's it gets tracking down what's the difference between corrupt data and, and an outlier is, is much e- it's much easier if you just assume it away and just oh I ignore that
1: that's why people do it,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's to your own peril uh, for yeah. lots of different reasons. So what have we come up with so far? Like five or six different things we, we do with data pretty quick and, and understand it. And and then we have fun with it. We plot it this way and that way. And then we run this analysis, that analysis. We do regression. We do, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to do with the data set. Um, then it's fun. Uh, there's yeah. a bit of work before you get to that, the fun part.
1: What I like doing with data analysis is I, I form an idea in my head of what I expect to see based on the description of what this process models. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, we'll go back to that example It's a mechanical system. So I expect to see infant mortality. I expect to see, um, transition to wear out based on my understanding of that product. I am open to the idea of seeing a small period of constant hazard rate between those two regions. Um, so I'm expecting to see these things. and that's not um, prejudice per se because you still, you're still basing your critical thinking on the scenario at hand. But what I like doing why I like doing that is because it sort of um, allows me to formulate what my expectations are from a data analysis perspective based on deducing how this thing works. Yep. And if the said Weibull plot or whatever it is aligns to that expectation, That's a good sign Um, and it gives you more confidence that the data is representative and not corrupt honest as you say yeah
0: well I had uh, was a physics class professor and and his weekly quizzes that we got was often just make a guess and he was trying to hone our ability to take the relevant information which often was very sketchy and very slight you know and often sometimes would even be just really weird questions like how many piano tuners are in Manhattan <laughs> uh, okay. and we knew roughly how many people you know order of magnitude maybe how many people were there and then you'd work out and show your work what did you make assumptions and how did you come up with your number of piano tuners and there wasn't a right or wrong answer oftentimes but he said if you do if you face a problem and you don't have an idea what the answer or the result or what you expect the answer to be, Um, then you don't, when the calculator or the computer finishes the run, or you finish the running out the calculations by paper, on by hand, um, you need something to compare it to, Uh, (laughs) you know, and so I Sometimes all you have is your intuition or a guess. And so that's another good one. It's what, do you, what do you expect to see with this data set? And um, sometimes you're surprised and it's a valid surprise. And sometimes it's like, hmm, okay, that makes sense. That's consistent. Uh, but it's hard to be surprised when you don't know what you're expecting.
1: Right. And um, it goes to the point where we, we, we sort of preach that, when we use software or, or data analysis tools, you, you can't just be monkey see monkey do. Yeah. Rubbish in, rubbish out. If you just get numbers and say, well, here's the answer, but you don't understand what those numbers mean, where they come from, you haven't checked, they align with you know, what you think or what you'd expect you would see, um, <laughs> then you are not an engineer. You are a poorly put together but cyborg. That's not gonna be useful for too much longer.
0: Yeah, yeah. No. That brings up a whole other story where we had negative time to failures. And I'm like, hmm, that's that's kind of an odd result. How does that happen? But... um So anyway, what apparently, and when I first saw it, it was like, what do I first do when I get a set of data? Well, I plot it. And he says, well, what what do you really do? Well, that'd be a good question for Chris. So hopefully that wasn't too much of a surprise or shock for you there, Chris. It wasn't a shock. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. Uh, I got another one for you. I'll save that for later. Um, But anyway, uh, if you're listening to this, if you got a question... um, even straightforward, simple questions. Uh, we like those. Those are easier to answer. But sometimes there's a little bit of thought goes into some of this stuff. And, and if you've got something on your mind, let us know. Head over to com slash go slash S-O-R. And Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are, are available through LinkedIn or through our about pages where there's a couple different ways to get in touch with each of us. And we'd certainly like to hear from you. And, and what's on your mind? Um, so with that, Chris, I'm going to go see if I, what, if there's a data set that this person had, see if I can go play with that. But uh, I, I, I didn't actually see the data, so I'll have to ask.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: All right, cool. Well, thanks, Chris. Talk to you again soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic, that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes, or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.